Well, hey there, and welcome to the Saints Church Glory Hills podcast. We're so happy that you joined us today. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, we believe that God will speak to you through one of our pastors today. Let's jump in. Come on. Well, it's good to be in church. Um, If you have your Bibles, John chapter 4, Hosea chapter 6, Job chapter 36, throw Zechariah 10 in there as well, and we're going to get started. I have no title for this message. I may let you pick one on your own, and that's totally fine. In John chapter 4, starting in verse 19, uh, we find Jesus talking with this Samaritan woman. And when the disciples come back and see Jesus talking with this Samaritan woman, they're kind of wondering what's going on. First off, uh, it's a Samaritan. Second, this is a woman. Jesus is a rabbi and a teacher. Their first instinct is, is she bothering you, Jesus? What's going on? And Jesus is having this conversation with her about her, her past, her life, that he is the Messiah, that he's the life of God. And she starts asking him questions about worship. Imagine that. A Samaritan woman understands that God desires to be worshipped. And she starts talking about these worship wars that are kind of going on uh, between the, the Jews and the Samaritans and where they think you should worship and how you should worship. And so we pick it up in John chapter 4, verse 19. And she says, sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you and Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming where you'll no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Everyone say, is coming. Indeed, it's here now. Everyone say, now. Now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. There is a call for every believer to be a worshiper of God. There is a call for us to engage and encounter God the way he desires to be worshipped. And the Bible clearly describes this in John chapter 4 as worship that comes in spirit and in truth. And all of this is to bring glory to God and to benefit us. When we start talking about worship, we are not talking about making something happen because it's some magic formula. No, we're actually talking about a spiritual relationship and the truth of the word of God tells us how God wants to be worshiped. And so when we worship with our spirit, soul, body in the truth of the word of God, we come before him, it actually brings glory to God and it's for our benefit and it builds us up in our lives, okay? So when we talk about being a people of the presence of God, which is kind of what I've been talking about, I feel like our last six weeks have kind of got all jumbled up, but we really want to grow as a people of presence and carrying the presence of God and encountering encountering the presence of God, I would just venture to say that worship is a big part of that. Worship and prayer, namely... Now, if we go to Hosea chapter 6, I want to read a few scriptures here. Hosea chapter 6, verse 1 to 3 says this. Come, let us return to the Lord, 
He has torn us to pieces, now he will heal us. He has injured us, now he will bandage our wounds. In just a short time, he will restore us so that we may live in his presence. Everyone say presence. God wants us to live in his presence. Verse 3, oh, that we might know the Lord. This is what worship is. It's knowing God. Oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know him. He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of dawn or the coming of rains in early spring. Job chapter 36, verse 26, picks up this same idea of rain. It says this. It says, look, God is greater than we can understand. His years cannot be counted. He draws up the water vapor and then distills it into rain. The rain pours down from the clouds and everyone benefits. Zechariah chapter 10, verse 1. I forgot to put it in my notes. Let's see what it says here. Ask the Lord for rain in the spring, for he makes the storm clouds and he will send showers of rain so every field becomes a lush pasture. The principle of spiritual rain shows us that there is a seeking of God which brings purpose and his presence to our lives as we seek him and he responds to our worship. There is a, a principle of doing the things that God has asked us to do and he pours out refreshing, he pours out his life, he pours out his presence to those who spend time in his presence, who seek him, who want to actually know the Lord. That's why Hosea says, like, let's know the Lord. Let's come back to this place where we know who he is, that we would press into knowing him. When we think about the cycle of rain, you have three things. You have evaporation, condensation, and precipitation. And that's my extent of being a science teacher. <laughs> evaporation, condensation in the clouds, precipitation. And we could actually view our worship like this. There is a spiritual principle of seeking the Lord. Our praise goes up, our lifting of hands, our singing, our shouting, our clapping, our dancing, our prayers. They are evaporating to heaven where God gathers those and the condensation of that, the supernatural working of that is God's response to a people who are hungry and thirsty for him that he comes and pours out and fills them and changes them and works in their life and we begin to grow. And a lot of Christians are trying to live their lives out saying, well, I will do some good things and I pray to prayer so I know I'm going to heaven. But they have no desire in this process of seeking God, prayers, seeing what God will do, letting him fill their lives and actually grow into who he's called them to be so they can produce fruit in the earth that brings glory to God. All of this we have to remember is about bringing glory to God. If we're going to be a people of presence, it's not so we have some cool party tricks or some crazy services. This is so we can bring glory to God, that people see Jesus. And when we worship, it changes us first so we can be impactful on the world around us. And so I would say worship and prayer is intimately involved in experiencing, caring, and being a people of presence. And so today I'm just going to leave you with three things that I really believe we need to know as we worship. 
I really, really wanted to get into the expressions of worship today, but we're going to do that next Sunday. Palm Sunday is a great Sunday. If you didn't know, next Sunday is Palm Sunday, Jesus' uh, triumphal entry before he was crucified. It's a great day to talk about people expressing themselves, worshiping God, lifting their hands, singing, shouting, dancing, kneeling, bowing before the Lord. Uh, So we're going to explore that next week. What does that all mean for us as a believer? But when it comes to worship in our lives, I, I believe God wants us to understand some things. A lot of times people, they just don't know what they don't know. And it's hard to expect people or ask people to grow deeper, to grow, to mature when they don't know something. My, my friend and boss, when I was in between ministry jobs, he would say, you know, people don't know what they don't know until they know it. So you got to help them know what they don't know. And if you don't know it, you got to find someone who knows and then John Fleming would go on and on and on and on, and he would just keep saying these things. Great friend of mine. But it, that stuck with me so much because when you minister to people and you think, often we look at their lives and we think, if you would just do this, if you could just do this, and we forget that outside of Jesus or someone teaching us or showing us how to grow in our lives, we do really ridiculous things too when we don't know what we should be doing in the right and wrong way or how to move forward in a positive way in our lives. So there's a lot of people who don't know Jesus. We see them and we're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you would do that. Don't you know that's hurting your relationships? Don't you know that that's hurting this? Don't you know that it's hurting that? And until they encounter Jesus and a God who loves and cares for them and shows them they don't have to live that way anymore, they don't know what they don't know. And our job is to bring them to a place where they experience Jesus so he can start speaking to them about the things that they can grow in, mature in, and change in their lives, just like Jesus did it for you and me. And he continues to do that in our lives. And and so the first thing I think we need to know when it comes to worship is you need to know your role. Wouldn't that be good to know what am I supposed to do? What's my job when it comes to worship? What's my role when it comes to being a worship of God? Some of you are like, well, if I don't know, I can't be blamed if I don't do it. Yeah, well, that's not really what the scriptures say either. Well, I worship God with my spirit when I feel like it and, you know, like I feel spiritual. But how about worshiping God in truth? Pray because God says to pray. Lift our hands because God says to lift our hands. Do the things that the Bible calls us to do because God desires to be worshipped. You need to know your role. And in the Old Testament, I alluded to this a couple weeks ago, there were three levels of worshippers in the Old Testament, the Tabernacle of Moses. We are not at the Tabernacle of Moses, so we should not keep this structure, but this is what there was. There were priests, everyone say priests. There were Levites. And there were worshippers. Okay, so this is how it worked. The priests had to be of the Levite clan, but of the tribe of Aaron. They had to be of a particular family. It was a special role. In Moses' day, when Moses consecrated the priests, there was Aaron and his three sons. Four people were the priests. Then there were the Levites. They were the tribe of Levi. Because Levi, if you go all the way back to um, when the 12 tribes are being blessed by Jacob, when he prays, Uh, his prayer over all of them in his dying breath, he says that Levi would be set apart, that they would be joined to the Lord. And to Levite really means to be joined to. 
And, and so the Levites were consecrated. They were special. So they did not have the role of the priest in the inner court, but they went into the tabernacle and they dealt with the altar of incense, the table of showbread. They did other things that worshipers were not allowed to do. The worshipers were actually the most restricted people group in that time. And that was the congregation of Israel. That would have been all of us. You were allowed to bring your sacrifice to the temple or to the tabernacle, but you had to give it at the outer court. Then the Levites and the priest would take it in and make the sacrifice on your behalf. So there were priests, there were Levites, and there were worshipers. And I think there's a lot of people in Christianity that would love that system because then they can say, well, I'm not in that box. Pastor Jeremy, you're a priest. I'd maybe be a Levite when I really got like 30 years of Christianity under me, but I'm okay with being a worshiper. I'll bring something on Sunday, and you worship God for me, and I'll pretend like everything's good. Hate to break it to you, Jesus changed all of that. So if you want to know your role, church, you need to know this. You're a priest. Come on, say it with me. I'm a priest. In the New Testament day, because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice on the cross, because he went to the inner court, spilled his blood, paid the price, the curtain was torn from top to bottom, God did that, he created a way that every person who would follow Jesus and come under his grace can now be a priest that ministers before the Lord. But we got a lot of Christians saying, oh, I'm just a worshiper, I'm an outer court type of person. then you will have an outer court experience and encounter with God. And we got to get to the place where we believe what the scripture says about us and understanding the place we have before God. Understanding who we are and how we're called to function is important because we are priests. 1 Peter 2.5 says this, And you are living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Spiritual sacrifices that please God. If Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice, we don't bring animal sacrifices anymore because why? They don't please God. Jesus fulfilled all that was pleasing and needed to satisfy the judgment of God for our sin. He's fulfilled that, but Jesus mediates, so we bring spiritual sacrifices the Bible talks about as praise and thanksgiving and prayers and offerings, and it goes up as incense before the Father, and this pleases him. 1 Peter 2.9 says, but you are not like that. Talking about people who kind of stumble and, and waver in, in their faith. He says, you are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. Interesting. Living stones and priests are the ones who are able to show others the goodness of God. Not spectators. Not those who stand at a distance. Because we function in that priesthood, it says that we can show others the goodness of God, for he has called us, what, out of darkness into his wonderful light. Revelation chapter 1 says this. Oh, my gosh, don't get scared. There's a lot of positive things in Revelation. And it says, and from Jesus Christ, he is faithful 
He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all things of this world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by the shedding of his blood. And he has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. It's like Jesus saying, guys, I'll go first. I'll pay the price. But then there is work for you to do. There is a job for you to do as a kingdom of priests. So all glory and power will be to him, God the Father, forever and ever. Amen. The role of the priest, let's understand, church, is to minister before the Lord. How about this? The role of the pastor is to minister before the Lord and then to the people. My first job description is to minister before God, to seek his face, to know his voice, to hear his heart, to be changed and transformed in my own life before I can minister to people. But the Bible says that we're not talking about office of pastor, prophet, teacher, evangelist, um, all of those things right now. We're talking about the function of the saints, right? When Ephesians says that my job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, well, the reason you have work to do is because in new kingdom terms, in the new covenant, you're all priests. You can all offer sacrifices of praise and prayer and thanksgiving, and as living stones, you are building the house of God, and you can bring people into that encounter. But let's get first things first. Our first responsibility is to worship and minister before the Lord. A lot of people ask, when are we going to do stuff? When are we going to help people? When are we going to do an event? Those are all great things, ministering before people. But the Bible calls us first and foremost to worship God, to put him in his rightful place, to know his face, to understand his presence, to carry it with us. So when we minister before the Lord, it's important not only because it brings glory to God, but because it changes us and actually qualifies us through the presence of God working on us to minister to one another and then to others. There is a ministry job description when you come to church week after week. We don't come to the house of God as someone who needs something. I told the team this this morning, but I'm telling everyone this. We come to the house of God as priests saying, God, how can I minister before you and how can I minister before other people that you put in my circle, in my sphere, because I'm a priest and I'm called to offer sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving and then I'm going to take what you speak into my life, and I'm going to minister to those around me. Man, if we showed up to church thinking, I have a job to do, I have people to care for, I have people to pray for, I have worship to bring up to God, it would change the way we experience a Sunday morning. Now we all have bad days. We all have bad weeks. We say, God, I don't feel like a priest. I don't even feel like worshiping you, let alone ministering to others. That's why putting worship to God first is so important. Because if you would just, for lack of a better terms, suck it up, lift your hands, sing, worship God, because he deserves to be worshipped the way he asked to be worshipped, your heart will change because you can't stay in that same place very long when you put God first. How many times I don't feel like preaching on a Sunday morning? Probably more than you ever want to know. <laughs> but I know God's called me to do it. I know God's called me to be where he has me. But that's why I got to get up early. 
Say, God, I got to put you first. I got to seek your face. I got to know your heart because my feelings will lie to me and I need to minister out of who you are, not out of how I feel. And so when we come to this knowledge that we are priests, you, church, there's not priests, Levites, and worshipers any longer. Some people have tried to reinstate these myths and these roles and saying, well, I'll help with something, but I, I, I'm not an expressive worshiper. I'll, I'll get involved in this area and help a little bit in the house of God, but I'm not going to be someone who actually carries the presence of God and gets vocal about it or shares my faith. That is not for you anymore. The call is to be a priest and a king and have confidence and bring the life of God to everyone around you. But that's why we have to be a people of his presence. Because when we don't have his presence, we don't do those things. Many people want to be a worshiper that stays in the outer court and it's easy to let someone else do all the work, the heavy lifting. I'll just say this, I'm so grateful for the, the worship teams and leaders of our house because, come on. They all clap for you, worship team, but it's not about you. But I've been to other churches, and God loves other churches. Say that out loud. God loves other churches. Come on. That's, it's good to know that. Some places you walk into, and it is so hard to get into the presence of God and feel part of it because there have not been people and leaders who say, it's my job to worship God today. And we have an incredible the team that does it, but we actually have an incredible church that comes ready to say, it's my job to lift up the name of Jesus today. And as we do that, we're going to experience more and more of his presence and his goodness because we worship God the way he asks us to worship him. Hebrews 13 verse 15 says this, through Jesus, Therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of the lips that openly professes his name. Now, sometimes you might wonder why we do songs the way that we do. Why don't we just start with all the slow songs that feel good and we'll sit and be chill and it's such a nice Sunday? Because most of those songs, when you listen to the lyrics, they're about us. And we're going to be about God first. If you look on a Sunday morning, the faster songs that the teams pick, it's positioning us to declare and profess and proclaim who God is. And it gets us in the head space and the heart space that says, God, I'm here to be about you and declare who you are first. And then I, I come back to the place where I know, but God, I know you love me and you're helping me in this area and I'm going to seek you and I'm going to feel your presence and you're going to do some incredible things. But sometimes some of you need to sing a little bit louder and declare, I thank God for all those things because your neighbor needs to hear why God is good. Maybe they came in this morning and they've forgotten that this week. And that declarative process actually stirs up faith and belief that God is who he says he is and will do what he said he will do. Our encounters with God and our ministering before the Lord actually positions us to be able to be ministered to and change and to have something to carry with us to minister to others, okay? So if we're going to understand worship, if we're going to be a people of presence, we need to know our role. Everyone say, I'm a priest. priest. You're a priest. Know that. 
Don't let the enemy tell you anything different. When you go home and you feel attacked spiritually and you say, I don't know how to worship God or how to declare who he is in the situation, you just start telling the devil, well, guess what? I'm a priest and I can offer sacrifices and Jesus opened the door and I can approach my heavenly father with boldness and I'm going to start praising and worshiping him and bringing my prayers and petitions before God. And pretty soon, devil, his presence is going to fill my heart, this space, my home, and you have no place here. Come on. This is what we should carry as Christians. So number one, we need to know our role. Number two, we need to know that worship works. Worship works. This is not to say that we are working at making God's presence happen in our life. I said this, it's not some magic formula where if we do A, B, C, and D, we get math with letters and nobody understands it. Come on. I became a pastor because I believe God is not the author of confusion, and uh, math was not for me. <laughs> and that's why we have a uh, board of financial directors that help me make sure we're all good in all areas. Come on. Thank God for all gifts, talents, and abilities in the house of God. We're not working and striving to make something happen with God's presence in our lives, but what we are doing is we are working in and through worship to deepen and develop our relationship with God. Relationships that work take work. You ever notice that? Relationships that work, whether it's a marriage, a partnership, a business relationship, a friendship, relationships that work and thrive take work. They take time. And I would ask you this question. When it comes to your relationship with God, knowing that Jesus loves you, he gave himself for you, he died on the cross, he saved you, but now you have a personal relationship with the God of the universe, I would ask you this question. What kind of relationship do you want to have? What kind of relationship do we want to have? James 4 verse 8 says this. It says, come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. You ever been in that relationship where it always feels like someone's taking from you? I had a friend growing up, and every time after youth group, we would go to someone's house, and we would watch a movie, or we would hang out or do something, and then we'd like jump into one of our cars and hit 7-Eleven. I had this one friend that never had his wallet, never had gas in his car to drive, always needed to borrow something till next time. And, and, you know, like, at a certain point, you're just like, well, if he's hanging out with us, this is just going to cost me a little extra money this, this Friday night. And we were still friends, but let's just say we had other friends that were closer in the group because of some of these things, right? Think about it in you want to date someone or a marriage. If one person sees the relationship as self-serving and only beneficial to them, but 
never tries to get to know the other person, their likes, their dislikes, what they need, and is willing to say, I will put something aside right now because you need this, and, and I'll actually go out of my way to try and do something nice for you without being asked. Isn't it nice though, in those relationships, you kind of, the reciprocation sure feels good. It's nice to, to have a little bit of that. And, and I think sometimes we go into our relationship with God and we forget that God is a person. We've approached God and, and, and seen God as creator of the universe, Jesus, savior of the world. We're thankful for salvation, but then we keep our distance, just like the children of Israel did at the mountain. They said, well, Moses, you talk to God. And, and, but when it says we're priests, we got to come back to the image that Scripture shows us that God is a person and we were created in his image. Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 25 and 26, um, it just talks about how God made them male and female. They made man in his image. And if we are made in God's image and we require certain things in our relationships, we have certain emotions and feelings and and we like some things and don't like some things, and our personalities are all different, why would we venture out to think that God, God's just okay in himself, that he doesn't have those desires as well? Like, he doesn't need us. Don't, don't hear me wrong. God doesn't need us. He's, he's all-sufficient. But I, I actually think that God being a person, he desires a relationship that is reciprocal. And amazingly enough, unlike your partner, God wrote a handbook that says, this is what I like and what I don't like. <laughs> and actually, you could just read the book and, and know. And as Christians, we're like, oh, I didn't know that meant something to God when I worshiped that way. You know, there's this term often in life called defining the relationship. Anyone had those conversations? Can we define this relationship? And it's like, I don't know, I should be careful what I say here. <laughs> and though sometimes that's necessary, <clears throat> because nobody wants to live in a, in a misunderstanding and not know what's going on, have we ever come to a place where we say to God, like, like, I, I think God put pretty clear terms out of what type of relationship he wants to have with us. Like, he sent his son, had him crucified. He laid down his life so we could have access to them. And then he says throughout the Bible, I like to be praised and worshipped in these ways. I want to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. And I want you to grow and know me and draw closer to me and be my disciples like, I feel like God did a pretty clear term of defining the relationship, but we're like, but God, can I define it on my terms and what I like and what I don't like, and I'll go to church when I feel like it, and I'll serve when I feel like it, and I'll do this and that, and then we turn into these relationships that become very one-sided because uh, God paid the ultimate price for the relationship, but yet we want to define it like we did. Isn't that crazy? That, that we want to define our relationship with God based on him paying the ultimate price like we actually paid the ultimate price. Like we have a right to define our relationship with God. And the crazy thing is, is God is so gracious. And because of free will, he'll let you choose. He won't force himself on you. But he has been clear about what he desires and how he wants us to come close to him. 
I mean, I thinking about when Brandy and I started dating, it was pretty weird. It was pretty unclear because uh, we were friends, and then she didn't like me, and she told her friend when she started having feelings for me to pray that they go away. <laughs> and I said, they say like, I'm like, oh, like, we're friends. Like, do you like Brandy? No, she's kind of a princess, a little bit annoying. And she asked, oh, what about Jeremy? No, he's so arrogant. I can't stand being around him half the time. That, like, that was like a certain, like, before we started dating, point of the relationship. Brandy saw out at a summer camp what an incredible man of God I was and <laughs> serving people and leading and guys, be a man, be a leader. It might have been my long hockey hair that was, had blonde streaks in it and all of those things, puka shell necklaces, stuff like that, you know. Guys, it was the early 2000s, okay? <laughs> and then I knew at a certain point something had shifted, and, and so hindsight, she had this conversation with her friend that was like, well, pray these feelings go away, and her friend's like, well, have you asked God if they're from him? And she's like, well, I don't want to ask God if they're from him. And so she said, Lord, like, if this is from you, I need, like, an audible voice, and then, hey, babe. <laughs> And that very week, our pastor was coming to speak at camp, sits her down and says, I think you and Jeremy would be really great together. And she's like, oh, this is weird. Now I don't know if he likes me. And so when we talk about defining the relationship and stuff, sometimes things get weird. And so then her friend's like, well, you know Brandy likes you. And all I said was, yeah, I know. And then I did nothing about it. And then she was mad. <laughs> and then like a week or two later, we're like watching a movie at her house with a bunch of friends. And so I just put my arm around her. And she's like, what the heck is this? And then after that, we were dating. It was just kind of like, you know, and, and we do this as humans. We, we try to navigate all these unspoken, unclear relationships. And it doesn't have to be that way with your relationship with God. He desires you to worship him, praise him, be expressive in your worship. Uh, understand the word of God and he will show you what he likes and what he doesn't like and he will speak to your heart. If he created you, he knows that you need to be spoken to and led and, and, and helped in a different way than your friend. Some of us need a still small voice. Some of us need a kick in the pants and God knows which one of us we are. And we let the Holy Spirit speak those things when it's needed but we don't have to live in this awkward, wondering, weird, let's define this relationship kind of world because God has made it clear that he desires to be praised and worshiped and he desires to be present with you. I, I think we need to come back to the place where I would argue and I think it would be safe to say that proximity and personal interest in serving someone, not just taking, builds intimacy. Intimacy is built with proximity and a personal desire and interest to serve the other person. You don't build intimacy and strength in any relationship when it's one-sided, when you're never together, when you don't spend time together. And so as you want to grow in intimacy, you get closer. 
You, you take an interest to know what the other person likes, and that's what worship is for us, saying, God, I want to draw closer to you. I want to know more of who you are. I want to hear your voice. I want to get into your presence. And the Bible shows us how to do those things as we approach the throne of God with praise and thanksgiving and kneeling and bowing and singing and shouting and, and all of these things and how they bring us deeper into a relationship with God. So worship works because it's about working into our lives not only what we need but what God desires so we can have intimacy with him. We work on our relationship with God. We worship because it brings glory to God and it benefits our relationship with him and it calls us deeper. That is the primary function of worship. So I'm going to have the band come back up. Third thing you need to know. So the first one is you need to know your role. Everyone say, I'm a priest. Number two, we need to remember that worship works. Say, worship works. Doesn't mean we're going to make things happen, but we're going to work on growing deeper and more intimate with our Savior. But I think the third thing that we really need to lay a hold on and grasp in our, our worship and our intimacy with God, if we're going to be a people of presence and worship Him in spirit and truth, is I think we need to know we need to decide for ourselves what kind of commitment we're willing to make. Because growing deeper in intimacy and in a relationship, it requires commitment. It requires that we are willing to sacrifice. We start bringing words in like this and it brings a whole new depth and meaning towards an intimate relationship with God and with others. What level of commitment do we want to make? Like I said before, God has given you free will. He has given you a choice. He wants to draw you closer. He wants us to go deeper. He wants us to have such an intimacy with him that it actually overflows and it spills into other people experiencing the grace, the love of God, the encounter with Jesus that we found. But we have to ask ourselves, what kind of commitment am I willing to make? Romans 12 verse 1 says it this way. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. For this is truly the way to worship him. I used to think that this scripture was kind of weird. Offer your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. But it really makes sense because our bodies are the vehicle that take us to the places where we put all our efforts, all our energy. We're going to talk a little bit more about this. One. Next week. One of the Hebrew words to know God is yada. In the beginning of that part word, the yah means to put your hand to. What are you going to put your strength to? What are you going to pursue in life? To know God, to, to, to make an effort to know him, the yada call of God to draw near to him. And, and when it says that we are to make our bodies a living sacrifice, 
It's kind of asking the question, what level of commitment will we make with our time, with our gifts, with our talents, with our abilities, with our work, with our words, where we walk, what we do? How much of it are we going to give God access to? Because if the call of us is to worship him in spirit and truth and to know God, it's going to require something of us. And we got to start praying about and asking ourselves, in light of the sacrifice of Jesus, what am I going to sacrifice for God? And don't get caught in some trap that says you're going to be able to match or make up for what God did for you. No, it just means that, God, I got a whole lot of priorities in life, but I need to make you a priority, so I'm going to give you this time. I'm going to find a space to get into your presence. I'm going to seek your face more than I seek after some other things right now because, God, I know that I need to grow back in that intimate relationship with you because encounters with Jesus are what change us. Church, we're called to be living sacrifices, to offer ourselves in worship to our Savior for his partnership, for his purpose in the earth. But quite often, we're often the ones that want to determine these terms. But I would pray today that as we come to a place where we say, God, we're going hard after you. We're going we're gonna to seek your face. We're going to see what it means to go deeper into your presence so we can be a people of presence. I pray that we would become this type of people that's found in Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 15 to 16 says this, Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name, and don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. For these are sacrifices that please God. See, church, this is the call. We are priests who minister before the Lord first. Then we minister among one another. But it says, don't forget to do good to those around you, for these are sacrifices that please God. I would argue to say that a people of his presence who seek his face and go after his presence would be a people that blesses and encourages one another both inside the church and outside. They'd be a people that are willing to sacrifice for the benefit of others to know Jesus, to know his heart, to know his voice, to have them come near because we value the presence of God in every aspect of our life and we believe that other people should have it too. Amen? So why don't we stand this morning? I ask the band to close with a song. We're just gonna take a minute to lift up the name of God, to worship him and invite him into our lives. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions or are looking to get connected in any further way, head to saintschurch.ca and we would love to meet you. Thank you.